0: book of Romans. You can turn with me. The words may be on the screen. Uh, you can uh, find the reading on verse 17 through 21. I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible. but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. In the name of Christ, amen. So I've got a little problem I like to read. Every now and then, and I've been reading a lot of uh, Kindle books. Y'all ever do e-books, things like that? I love it. You can just get them right when you want. Nothing says I live in an instant society like I want my book right now, um, and so I do that. But I've been reading them a lot on my phone because I've lost all the chargers for my actual Kindles. Right now, the problem is I like to read at bedtime, and uh, if I am getting ready for bed and I'm reading on the phone, invariably I'm going to scroll over to Solitaire or Facebook or something. At any rate, I'm going to distract myself and end up up for hours doing nothing. So I wanted to go find a hardback book. Started this the other day. Uh, looking for a book. I went last night and picked one out, but when I was looking at the shelf, I ran across a bunch of books that I thought I might read. Um, I've got the full selection of William Shakespeare's plays because I'm a theater major and I'm supposed to have those, so I do. Have I read them all? No. Uh, But I did come across Hamlet. Hamlet is cool. Y'all know Hamlet. You probably had to read it in school. Hamlet is one of those uh, super famous works of William Shakespeare. It's been put on stage every year somewhere all over the place. There have been 30 film adaptations of Hamlet, In fact, every actor's dream is to play Hamlet somewhere. I don't know why. The guy strings together sentences with more words than I do. But still, Hamlet, one of the most famous works. I also came across, I have a copy when I was looking for books, I came across Moby Dick. I I have a copy of Moby Dick. I sure do. Why? Because it looks good on my shelf. Have I ever read it? No. No. But it continues to be on school reading lists. See, uh, I didn't have to read that one. I did a different book. Anyway, read the books that are on your list, children. Um, Moby Dick continues to be a famous. Everybody loves it. There's been movie adaptations and abridged editions. Some of my favorite movie adaptations. There's one with Gregory Peck. Do you all remember that one? Uh, And there's one with uh, Patrick Stewart. Great, great adaptations of Moby Dick. I also came across a, a copy of The Count of Monte Cristo. Alexandre Dumas, if that's how you say his French name, continues to captivate people. Movies are made, TV adaptations are made. In fact, between 2011 and 2015, there was an award-winning series on ABC based off The Count of Monte Cristo. I wonder if you can guess what it is. I'll give you a few minutes to figure it out. At any rate, this is not just about what books I found on my shelf. I did find one, and it was boring enough to put me to sleep. Um, But what do these three particular stories have in common? What do these three particular stories have in common, other than I put them on the pretentious, visible end of my bookshelf? Well, Hamlet is the story of a prince seeking to avenge his father's death. Moby Dick is the story of Captain Ahab on the pursuit for revenge against the white whale that took his leg. The Count of Monte Cristo is the story of a man who was wrongfully imprisoned and his subsequent pursuit of vengeance against those who put him in prison. So what do these stories have in common? Revenge. In fact, that show that I was telling you about, adapted from the Count of Monte Cristo on ABC, it was called Revenge. Do you all remember that one? It's called Revenge. A good revenge story resonates with people. Almost everybody likes to watch a good revenge story. That's why stories like these are told over and over and over and adapted into new situations. They're popular because we like them. People will make movies out of them because they will make money because people like them enough to pay to see them. What does it tell us that stories like these have been told over and over and over, sometimes for hundreds of years? What does it tell us that a TV series called Revenge in its uh, opening was the People's Choice Award winner for Best New Drama? What does it tell us? I wonder if it tells us that in living rooms across America... There are people who struggle with conflict in their lives, who struggle with the hurt that has been placed there by other people. I wonder if it tells us that across our country, across our world, people might feel like someone's crossed a line and taken something or done something that's left a debt in your life, and we all want payback. And we are captivated by watching other people do what we can't do. We love to see somebody get revenge. The popularity of a revenge story tells us that we have an epidemic of people who carry hurt in their heart and don't necessarily know how to deal with it. And so we watch other people get revenge. Have you ever heard the old philosophical phrase, nature abhors a vacuum? Okay, good. Wake up, everybody. You can play Pokemon Go if you're super bored. I just told the kids how to do it. You're welcome, by the way. Nature abhors a vacuum. And basically what that means is that every empty space gets filled up with something. If there's an empty space, something's going to fill it up. And I know this is true because every time we clean off my kitchen counter, invariably it ends up with chip bags and crackers and old homework and mail that nobody really knows what to do with. My counter abhors a vacuum and it will get filled up quick. Amen. So does my passenger side car seat and everything else. My trunk, I don't know what's in there. Nature abhors a vacuum. And it's the same way with our hearts. It wants to be filled up. When we are hurt and we feel like something has been taken from us, we got to fill that space again. It's just a, a feeling that we've got. In other words, if conflict causes some kind of emotional or physical debt, we demand repayment. We call it payback. We demand that the debt gets repaid because we don't live well with an empty space in our hearts. Revenge is a form of debt payment. It is. If you hurt me, then I hurt you. Debt is repaid. You take from me, I take from you. Debt repaid. You damage my reputation, I damage yours. Thank you, internet. The debt is repaid, or so it seems. When revenge is used as a form of repayment, I, I have this question. Where, where does it stop? Where does it stop? You hurt me, I hurt you. Well, you hurt me back, and I hurt you back. You hurt me back, and I hurt you back, and on and on and on and on and on into this cycle. It's like looking into a mirror with a mirror behind you, ad nauseum into infinity. Where does it stop? And if we die trying... What do we do? We pass it on to our children, and pass it on to the next generation, and onward and onward. These cycles of vengeance continue, and we've seen them play out like that across the world. I'm not making this stuff up. Take a look at the conflict that continues to to arroil and go on in the Middle East. Onward, generation after generation, feuds between countries, rivalries between families, payback between siblings. There are siblings that are in their 80s, and they don't know why they're fighting, but they're paying each other back for what each other did to them when they were four, five, six, seven, eight years old, and it's just on on and on. Spouses living in cycles of getting back at one another, making sure they get theirs and making sure they know what's going on because you're just paying each other back for wrong after wrong and you're just passing the debt back and forth and back and forth. Cycles of vengeance because of this need we've got to be repaid and I get it. But revenge doesn't repay debts. Revenge doesn't repay debts. It just passes them down the line. Maybe it got passed to you. Maybe it's passed to somebody else. But the question is, who's going to pay it ultimately? The buck's got to stop somewhere, doesn't it? Or are we comfortable taking all of our inability to express our hurts? Are we comfortable passing it on to somebody else? Just vengeance after vengeance and putting that into an echo across the world so that our children deal with the world of vengeance, and their children deal with the world of vengeance, and on and on, and guess what? Everybody's just empty. Where does it stop? And then to complicate matters, you know, vengeance and the feelings that we have, we just we, we need that payback, and then we read the Bible today, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, uh, but I know what I want to do, and I know what's good in my life, and the Bible tells me otherwise, and I don't like it sometimes. Does that ever happen to you? I don't like it, but there it is. Man, got to deal with it. Here we go. It seems like the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in Romans, I just wonder if Paul doesn't understand what it feels like when there's a debt in your life. I bet I wonder if he doesn't understand that feeling of when you've been hurt, that feeling that says, I must be repaid, I must get payback. I wonder if he understands that. So let's see what he has to tell us in this passage the first thing he says, uh, it seems to limit how we can actually get payback. Okay, so he wants to limit us a little bit. All right, do not repay evil with evil. Kind of limits you a little bit because if somebody lies about you, you can't lie about them now. Okay, you got to figure out something else. Somebody uh, hurts you, don't hurt them back because you don't want to repay anyone evil for evil. If someone steals from you, you don't want to steal from them because you don't want to pay back evil for evil. So Paul's kind of starting us there. That's That makes it difficult. But then we read uh, that we actually aren't supposed to take vengeance at all. In fact, Paul reminds us that that repayment is not our responsibility at all. It belongs to God. Paul quotes a passage of Scripture that has God saying, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Okay? It leaves me to wonder very good. Now, God, what are you going to do? I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And when will you do it? It's interesting. And on top of that, on top of the fact that Paul really takes away this desire for vengeance, he goes a little further. Jesus did it too. These are some folks who really know how to get in your business. Paul said we should feed our hungry enemies. And if they are thirsty, we should give them something to drink. (laughs) We all thought of that one, right? And he's not talking about a a bottle of poison or anything. He's talking about some nice, refreshing water. If we do this, the Bible says we will heap burning coals on their head. So are we to then go ahead and find our enemy, give him a cold drink of water, and hope that all of a sudden we'll see them uh, with burning coals on their head? Are we supposed to do the right thing for the wrong reason? Not quite. These burning coals, these metaphorical burning coals that the Bible talks about, they have the same chance of purifying our enemies as they do punishing them. We're to be kind to our enemies, the Bible says, because the kindness we share might lead them to sorrow and repentance. That's a different vision than sometimes we feel when we deal with hurt. You remember in the story of the crucifixion, Jesus is on the cross and he looks down on everybody who's uh, beat him and nailed him there and, and got him in trouble to begin with. And he, he says, Father, forgive them. I know not, they know not what they are doing. That's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? But the Lord prays that. And did you know, think about this, if you were to share kindness with somebody who's wronged you, if you were to, say, share a meal with your hungry enemy, that's that very same prayer just served with silverware. But it's hard to do. It's hard to do, isn't it? Father, forgive me. All of this... Really makes sense what Paul's telling if you look at it from kind of a detached perspective yeah yeah sounds good be nice to everybody sounds good don't take vengeance sounds good except for when you've got what do you call it what do, what do the young people call it when you've got a beef is that what the young people call it Brian I'm asking you yeah when you've got something going on then it's just a hard word it's a hard teaching from the Bible it can feel like a burden put on top of an emptiness. But before we lose heart, we have to recognize this. I'm going to say this flat out to you. What Paul has asked us to do in this passage is too hard for us to do by ourselves. What Paul has asked us to do in this passage is too hard for us to do by ourselves, And that's why when Paul is writing in the letter to Romans, he doesn't get to these, this business of how we are supposed to treat our enemies and deal with our wrongs until a little over halfway through. Some of you have recently studied Romans, and you'll recognize this. Paul, Chapter 12 is a nice little turning point from theology to practicality. From Here's, let me talk about God, now let me talk about how you're to live. Paul spends the first 11 chapters, before he gives us the hard ways that God calls us to live, he tells us about who God is and what God is doing. See, we can't do this on our own. We need God to do it. And so... Before he tells people about how to deal with the hurt in their life and the, and the debt and the desire for revenge, Paul's going to first talk about how God is at work. So when Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he's essentially writing this to a church with uh, division in it. There are Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, and they're having some trouble. And, and Paul is going to set the record straight. He says, all of you in this church, all of you, no matter which side of the fence you're on, all of you, are sinners. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. Every one of you, you got something in common. You're all sinners. You are all indebted to God because of your wrongdoing. This is what he's telling the various people in the Roman uh, Christian churches. You all are sinners, and you all have a debt that is paid to God, and that debt must be repaid, and that debt will require death. Hey, uplifting, right? Great. But here's what Paul tells us about God. There is a debt And it must be repaid. And God himself paid the debt required for everyone through the atoning death of his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you broke the law because you knew the rules and didn't do them, or if you were wrong because you didn't know the rules and you didn't do them. We are all in debt, but God paid the debt. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And guess what? Paul makes clear to us throughout the first half of Romans that God Pays the debt. And because we know that God pays debts, He's paid ours, this is then how we are to live. Listen to me. The people of God can let go of vengeance because God has paid the debt. God says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. I will repay, says God. God will deal with those who have treated others with evil. And God will do that, this is the hard part, in any little way that God chooses. We don't get to consult on that. Well, God, I think maybe if you were to, uh, you know, this, that, or the other, you know, God's going to work this out in whatever way God wants to, and you better be prepared that God might deal with that person in the same way he dealt with you when you were lost in sin and death, and that is by forgiving them and showing them mercy and giving them a second chance. God says it is mine to repay, but see... When we talk about payback, I think we use the word wrong. When we say somebody's done something wrong, I'm going to pay them back. No, 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 no. They took it. They're paid. Who needs to get paid back? The person who's been hurt. We're the one who need payback. We need it back. When we talk, when God says it is mine to repay, I don't think that the scripture is only telling us that leave the revenge to God. He's going to take care of it. He will repay. I think that the scripture is also telling us that God will repay those who are hurt. God will repay. I think God has something in mind for the one who has been wronged, too, because when a debt has been left in our lives by the actions of another, God is the one who repays. God pays the debt. As someone hurts you, you don't have to hurt them because God can heal your hurt. God repays the outstanding debt in your own life. As somebody lied to you, you don't have to lie about them because God is the truth and God can heal that hurt in your life with the truth of his word. As someone stolen from you, you don't need to steal from them because God has given you everything in the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. God will repay you. So when there's brokenness in your life, when there's emptiness in your life, God will repay, and you don't have to then take from somebody else to fill it back up. I think that when it says God will repay, he's talking about repaying the empty space in our life because God has paid that debt. See, the cycle of debt can end. Because God has paid the debt. And we can let go of our desire for vengeance. It's hard, but we can, and we can leave it to the Lord because God has paid the debt that has been left in our heart, and God has paid the debt that we have left in his heart. God paid the debt through healing our souls in Jesus Christ. And without that debt, there's no need for vengeance. And we can respond to the fact that God pays the debt by doing good and living in peace with others, even our enemies. We had a great image of this in the last 15 or so years. You probably remember this in the news. The people of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, they know what it's like to have a hole ripped in their heart. And the people of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, also know firsthand what it means that vengeance belongs to the Lord and God will repay. Now, on the morning of October 2nd, 2006, In a little one room schoolhouse in the Amish town of Nickel Mines, the milkman, a man named Charles Roberts, I'll keep this simple, committed some violence and five young girls died. And then he took his own life. And the community of West Nickel Mines should have wanted vengeance. Can you? I can't imagine. Their anger should have spilled out everywhere. They should have been crying in outrage. They should have been on the news in outrage. They should have wanted vengeance from his family. They should have poured out all of that all over them. They should have wanted some kind of repayment for everything that was wrong. It's human nature, and that would make perfect sense. But this is what happened instead, and you may remember it. Reading from a couple of news articles one of the fathers, the Amish father, said of uh, the man who perpetrated the crime. He said, this man had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he is standing before a just God. He's given vengeance over to God. And in another place, about 30 members of that community attended the perpetrator's funeral and sat with his wife, Marie. And Marie, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders that were invited to the funerals of the young girls. And Marie Roberts, the wife, wrote a letter to her Amish neighbors, and she said, Your love for our family has helped provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way that no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing the world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. What the world saw, the the nation was enwrapped with this, and the world saw this, as we saw a small community of people do what we thought was impossible, and that is to stand up and give God back what belongs to God. Let God heal their hearts so they can extend forgiveness. God will repay God repaid their hearts. And how did that happen? There's one man named Jonas who said this. He said, tragedy changes you. You can't stay the same. Where that lands, you don't always know. But listen to this. What I found in my own experience is that if you bring what little pieces you have left to God, he somehow helps you make good of it. If you bring what little pieces you have left to God, he somehow helps you make good of it. And the whole world got to see the simple message of forgiveness. So for the people of West Nickel Mines, God did what no one else could do, what they couldn't do for themselves. There was no way, other than with God, to stop the cycle of evil. God paid the debt. God picked up the broken pieces of their lives and began assembling them into something new and beautiful and good that has become a witness of what is true about Jesus Christ to the entire world. And since the empty place in their heart had been paid by God, they were free to respond with grace and forgiveness as well, because God paid the debt. They were not overcome with evil. They did not overcome evil with evil. They overcame it with good. And so here's the bottom line for all of us. There is hurt that exists in our hearts, and the question is, how do we deal with that? If you hang on to it, if you hang on to it with anger and vengeance, the hole will always remain in your heart. The debt will always remain outstanding. You will never be able to fill it on your own, and more times than not, the person who put it there does not have the ability to fill it either. You just don't. You can want your whole life, but sometimes what happens to us just can't be paid back by people. But God will repay. God will fill the debt. God will meet the need. Just remember what Jonas, the man from West Nickel Mine, said. Sometimes if you just take the broken pieces, you just lay them out to God, God will make something beautiful and good. So my prayer for us as we enter just our lives in general, but especially coming into the season of revival, is that if you're holding on to hurt, if you're holding on to vengeance, if you're holding on to anger, if you would just take some time, in your chalk circle here at the altar, to put the broken pieces out before God, God will repay. God will pay the outstanding debt in your heart the same way he paid your debt in his. God makes good out of our broken pieces. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the great grace of your word that is both tough and healing. And I pray, O God, for all of us who are carrying hurt in our life that you would hold true to your word to repay. You have paid our debt of sin and we know that by your grace you will repay the debt of emptiness and hurt in our lives because only you can do it. May we have the courage to open our hearts up to you, the courage to sift through the broken pieces, the courage to put them out before you as sharp and as difficult as they are. We don't want them to hurt anymore, that we might trust you to do something wonderful with them. For anybody who has hurt here today, O Lord, and has come to their mind, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would work in their lives and minister to them at this moment, that they might know the great healing of what happens when you repay their debts. Father, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.